Broadcasting live worldwide. It's time, it's time to bring you yet another amazing episode. And now, welcome your host. Hi, I'm your host, Rick Friedman, and you're listening to the 29th episode of A Breath of Fresh Earth. Stick around for the next 20 minutes. I gave Steffi the week off, so Kimmy is filling in for her today. Thanks for the intro. April 22nd, 2021 will mark the 51st year anniversary of the first Earth Day. The theme for Earth Day 2021 is Restore Our Earth. COVID-19 ruined all of the in-person festivities for Earth Day last year. Not too much has changed for this year. Most of the events are still digital, but you can contribute by going to earthday.org beginning on April 20th through the 22nd for three days of climate action. Highlights from last year's event included more than 100 million people in 192 countries joining together for the largest online event in history. Speakers included Pope Francis, Al Gore, Secretary General of the United Nations Antonio Guterres, and others encouraging governments to take bold action. Topics included climate literacy, stopping plastic pollution, adopting plant-based diets, preserving biodiversity, and reforestation. The first Earth Day was a unified response to oil spills, smog, and rivers so polluted they literally caught fire. That refers to the Cuyahoga River in my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. More about that later. In 2016, the United Nations chose Earth Day as the day when countries signed the Paris Agreement on climate change. The founder of Earth Day was a man named Gaylord Nelson, a Republican senator from Wisconsin. In 1969, he witnessed the remains of a massive oil spill in Santa Barbara, California. That got him thinking about how to tap into the power of the anti-war protests to bring environmental action to the forefront. It worked. Nelson received the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award in 1995 as a tribute for his efforts. Another Republican congressman, Pete McCloskey, convinced a 25-year-old named Dennis Hayes from Harvard to run the first Earth Day. Following the success of that Earth Day, Hayes founded Earth Day Network and helped expand the network to more than 180 nations and was named Hero of the Planet by Time Magazine in 1999. The founders chose April 22nd for the Earth Day because it fell between spring break and final exams for college students. 20 million people participated in the first Earth Day. That first Earth Day led to the creation of the United States Environmental Protection Agency and the passage of the Clean Air, Clean Water, and Endangered Species Act. That was a pretty good year for the planet. The first Earth Day received support from Republicans and Democrats. So what happened to the GOP? Why do they treat climate change like it doesn't exist? Go ask your favorite Republican senator how much money they receive in donations from oil and gas companies, and you'll find your answer. But thanks to Joe Biden's victory in November, December, and January, there's a new sense of optimism for us to conquer the environmental challenges ahead. Let's talk about this year's event. The festivities start on the April 20th with the We Shall Breathe Virtual Summit. Presented by the Hip Hop Caucus and their partners, the event will examine climate and environmental justice, connecting the climate crisis to issues about pollution, poverty, police brutality, the pandemic, all within the framework of racial justice. The next day on the 21st, Education International will lead Teach the Planet, a global educational summit. The multilingual virtual summit spans several time zones and will feature prominent activists from every continent focusing on the crucial role that educators play in combating climate change and why we need transformative climate education now. And then the big day, Thursday, April 22nd, the entire world unites to celebrate Earth Day. 
Go to earthday.org for the complete list of events and how you can be part of the fun. This year, you can be active by participating in the great global cleanup. I'll make it easy for you. Go to cleanup.earthday.org and find a cleanup near you. There's several locations within 50 miles of my house. I love the motto, sign up, show up, clean up. You can even register and build your own team. Choose a location and clean it. Small groups of two or three people can still make a big difference in your city. Have you ever heard of plogging? Back in 2016, groups of Swedes added picking up plastic while they were jogging, and the phrase plogging began. Now people plog all over the world, although I have to say I've yet to see anybody plogging where I live. Wait a second. I just thought of something. My dog is into plogging. If we drop anything in our house, he runs over and picks it up with his mouth and then runs around the house until we convince him to drop it. If we could get him to drop it into a garbage can, that would be cool. The theme of this year's Earth Day is Restore Our Earth, and at Earth Day Dagord, you'll find the five pillars to help restore the earth. The first one is the Canopy Project. The Canopy Project has planted tens of millions of trees since 2010. Current planting locations are focused in Mount Elgon region of Uganda, the foothills of the Himalayas in India, forests near Serra Gorda in Mexico, and a recent project now underway in Madagascar. For as low as a dollar, you can donate a tree planting in someone's name. It's a nice alternative if you're looking for an unusual gift for a friend. Next is food and environment. Maybe you'd like to alter your global footprint, not footprint like your carbon footprint, but how the choices of what you eat affect climate change. Check out the BBC Climate Change Food Calculator. It'll show how your food intake compares to emissions of driving, heating a home, and consuming water. We just talked about the third pillar, the great global cleanup. The fourth pillar is climate literacy. EarthDay.org believes every school in the world must have compulsory climate and environmental education with a strong civic engagement component. And the last pillar is the Global Earth Challenge, a citizen science initiative. Would you like to be a research assistant for Mother Nature? The pay isn't much. Well, the pay is zero. But the rewards could save the planet, and you can proudly say, you helped. Don't stand on the sidelines. What is my favorite question on this podcast? But I'm just one person. What can I do to help? The Global Earth Challenge helps engage millions of people while integrating billions of data points from new and ongoing citizen science projects. Download the Global Earth Challenge app, and you'll be part of millions contributing to scientific research in one of six categories. Insects, air quality, plastic pollution, food supply, water quality, or climate change. As an example, if air quality is your biggest concern, you can take pictures of the horizon that excludes the sun, submit the picture on the app, rate how good or bad you think the air quality is. Your picture will be compared to other users in your area to help make assessments of the air quality. Or if plastic pollution makes you want to scream, take a photo of the plastic you find on the ground, map it, identify what kind of plastic it is, send in the picture. This information helps track plastic pollution in real time and lets scientists collect the data. If you like watching documentaries, you won't want to miss the audience award winner from the recent D.C. Environmental Film Festival called Inhabitants, an Indigenous Perspective. The producers followed five Native American tribes across America, searching to maintain their traditional way of life, made more difficult from a changing world. And check out They Keep Quiet So We Make Noise. Two activists just outside of Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, search for illegal recycling facilities burning plastic, sending foul odors across the town of Janjarum. And if you like whales, another winner from the festival was James Cameron's Secret of the Whales, a 49-minute documentary soon to be a Disney Plus series beginning on April 22nd. Hey, that's Earth Day. Perfect timing. I've given you a good head start for Earth Day. 
but there's a ton more to find on their website. Climate.gov is an easy website to navigate. You can read the latest climate news, research climate history by dozens of categories, including your own zip code. Lots of maps and data, a global climate dashboard that gives you a snapshot of global temperatures, carbon dioxide levels, spring snow cover, sea level, Arctic sea ice, and much more. Do you know what the difference is between global warming and climate change? Global warming refers only to the Earth's rising surface temperature, while climate change includes warming and the side effects of warming, like melting glaciers, rainstorms, more frequent drought. Global warming is one symptom of the much larger problem of human-caused climate change. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. Duncan German is a 17-year-old student, and his love for butterflies started when he was four or five years old. He was fascinated that they started out as caterpillars and turned into butterflies. If you think about it, it really is an amazing work of nature. Duncan started a project called Bring Butterflies Back, inspiring youth to protect butterflies for future generations. German started a butterfly garden at his home, where he's raised and released over 5,000 butterflies. COVID-19 didn't stop him either. He used Zoom to teach others about the beauty and importance of butterflies to the ecosystem. He understands butterflies pollinate flowers just like bees do. They're important as food, too, for others. Lizards and birds need to eat, and butterflies are on their menu. Everybody fits somewhere on the food chain. German's environmental action group, Bring Butterflies Back, has formed a partnership to help further develop outreach efforts. Great things are in his future. Way to go, Duncan. Visit bringbutterfliesback.org. While we reflect on this year's Earth Day, I have two songs I'd like you to remember. One from Randy Newman, famous for writing the song You've Got a Friend in Me from Toy Story. Well, back in 1972, he wrote a song commemorating the 1969 fire on the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland, a mere 20 miles from my house. I'm too young to remember seeing the fire, but I was alive. And here's a few of the lyrics from the song. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. There's an oil barge winding down the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. Burn on, big river, burn on. Burn on, big river, burn on. Not my city's proudest moment, to be sure. But let's leave environmental songs on a happy note. In 1967, Louis Armstrong recorded What a Wonderful World, and I'd like us all to remember that this is an amazing, wonderful world, filled with some great people working in many different fields to improve our lives. Here's a bit of that song. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Happy Earth Day, everyone. But what about dinosaurs? Okay, if you insist. Scientists have discovered another new species of dinosaurs in Argentina. They named it the one who causes fear. The dino is in the Abelisaurid family, who lived about 80 million years ago. These dinosaurs looked a little bit like T-Rex, with those famous short arms, but they made up for those short arms by having a very particular set of skills. Skills that they acquired over a long life. Skills that made them a nightmare for people like me and you. And if they found you, they would kill you. No, this is not the Liam Neeson dinosaur. It's called the Lelucan Alicarnian. It was about as long as an elephant, with short and a high cranium, sharp teeth, and claws on their feet. Scientists believe the dinosaur had unusually good hearing. If you're listening, take your daughter back. I swear I never touched her. Otto Barton. He's a scientist from the Netherlands who started the Existential Risk Observatory. 
Barton gives us the likelihood of one of six disasters that could end life on Earth. The observatory is committed to reducing the risks by encouraging public debate on these issues. We can't just pretend our problems are going to disappear, so we should talk about them. What are these six risks? One is future artificial intelligence. Think of HAL, HAL 9000 in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Things don't always turn out how we plan. Man-made pandemics. Perhaps a lab experiment goes awry and we all die. Climate change. Runaway temperatures could wipe us off the map. And nuclear war. That would definitely do it. Five is total natural risk, like an asteroid that killed the dinosaurs and much of life on Earth long ago. It could happen again. We better get Bruce Willis and his team ready, just in case we need him. And six other man-made risks that we haven't even invented yet. This reminds me of the Korean Netflix show I just watched, Sisyphus, the Myth. In that show, a man invented a time machine that allowed people to travel back and forth in time. And let's just say, not everyone had the best intentions. There may be no other conservationist credited with saving as many species as Carl Jones. His fascination with animals began as a boy in the rural area of Wales. And as a boy, he rescued injured wild creatures, badgers, owls, kestrels, and bred raptors in homemade cages, not dinosaur raptors. As a pioneer, leader, and hero for the natural world, Jones truly changed the fate of animals on the brink of extinction. Much of his work focused on the species in Mauritius, an island nation in the Indian Ocean. We talked about Mauritius after an oil spill last year. The island is recognized as a global center of avian diversity. And as a chief scientist for the Durrell Wildlife Conservation Trust and science director of the Mauritian Wildlife Foundation, Jones developed and led programs that resulted in some of the most striking animal population recoveries in the world, saving nine species, including the Mauritius kestrel, once the world's rarest bird, Jones challenges the classic conversation wisdom that we must first precisely understand the reasons for a species' decline and then restore its habitat. Instead, he argues that scientists must tweak the limiting factors on a species' population. Food, nesting sites, competition, predators, disease, with practical fieldwork. He says, if there's a shortage of food, you start feeding. If there's a shortage of nesting sites, you put up nest boxes. You don't need endless PhD students studying a species for 20 years. He argues, conservation is too remote. Do you sit back and monitor a sick patient, or do you treat them and see what works? A lot of species have been studied to extinction, unquote. Jones has been nominated for the prestigious Indianapolis Prize in 2012 and 2014, and he won the top prize in 2016. I'd never heard of it before. The Indianapolis Prize honors conservationists whose achievements demonstrate a positive impact on an animal species or group of species that is likely to improve long-term sustainability. The award is granted every two years, and it is the largest individual monetary award given for animal conservation. The winner takes home $250,000. That'll buy you a lot of kestrel eggs. Let's give a special celebration for the work of Carl Jones. Loss of habitat, pollution, and climate change threaten millions of species. Who is on the chopping block today? The International Union for Conservation of Nature's Red List of Threatened Species is the world's most comprehensive source on the global 
conservation's status of animal, fungi, and plant species. The Red List provides information about the range, population, size, habitat, ecology, use, threats, and conservation actions that will help make future conservation decisions. I heard some upsetting news about the status of elephants in Africa. So, like any good reporter, I traveled to Africa to talk directly to the source. I was able to land an interview with Jumbo Jr., the grandson of the famous Jumbo, who was the star of Barnum and Bailey's Circus, and inspiration for the movie Dumbo. He seems a bit upset, but I'll give it a try. I hope I don't get trampled to death. Jumbo Jr., what do you have to say about this startling news? For those of you who don't speak elephant, I'll translate. Jumbo Jr. is very upset because elephant populations are declining due to poaching their tusks and losing their habitat. Two different species of their kind, the African savanna and the African forest elephant, are now listed as critically endangered. Jumbo, thanks for laying out the facts for us so eloquently. Before the most recent update, African elephants were treated as a single species, listed as vulnerable. This is the first time the two species have been assessed separately for the IUCN Red List. The number of African forest elephants fell by more than 86% over a period of 31 years, while the population of African savanna elephants decreased by at least 60% over the last 50 years. Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. This next story isn't climate or pollution related but we're celebrating Earth Day on this episode, so forgive me while I go on my anti-hunting segment. I'm not talking about some of the nice people I know who hunt deer or like to fish. I'm talking about people who spend thousands of dollars to take hunting trips abroad with the goal of killing a big game animal. It could be an elephant, might be a lion, or even a polar bear. Mr. Steve West runs a hunting company. They hunt many different types of animals, including black bears, mountain lions, grizzly bears, brown bears, and polar bears. Yes, polar bears and hunting polar bears ain't cheap. For comparison's sake, let's take a peek at the cost for some of Mr. West's trips. The Arctic wolf hunting experience will set you back $6,500. Do you want to shoot a mainland musk ox? That'll be $9,900. Do you want to kill a polar bear? Better cash out your 401k. For the right to kill a polar bear, you'll have to pay Mr. West $46,000. Want to kill a lion? (coughs) Sorry, Mr. Lion but someone's going to pay $50,000 to take you out. Cut off your head and stick it on a wall. Not exactly how you imagined the way your life would end. But what else could you do with 50 grand? Well, you could buy a new Audi TT or a new BMW or a Tesla Model 3. That'll only set you back $39,000 and you'd have enough money left over to buy a 2009 Mercedes-Benz E-Class sedan and toss in a new 85-inch super high-def television. Personally, I'd recommend buying the TLC. It's like watching every movie over again for the first time. But if you'd rather shoot an elephant or a lion, go ahead. Wes says his clients have a deep commitment to nature and wildlife. Quote, these are salt-of-the-earth people. They may be wealthy, but people who hunt consider themselves conservationists. Unquote. Kind of like the people who stormed the Capitol were patriots? Yeah, right. If I was face-to-face with you, here's what I'd say to you. The damage you have just caused is much more serious than the mere loss of a life. 
Do you remember Sabrina Corgatelli? Back in 2015, she took some slack for posting pictures online with her kill photo of her with a dead giraffe. I mean, seriously, who kills a goddamn giraffe? Sabrina said, quote, Everybody just thinks we're cold-hearted killers, and it's not that. There's a connection with the animal, and just because we hunt them doesn't mean we don't have a respect for them. Unquote. That makes me angry! Mr. West argues hunters are realists who understand that an exotic or endangered animal is more likely to be protected from extinction if they are assigned a financial value. Joe Hosmer, president of the Safari Club International Foundation, argues that hunting was good for Africa's lions. Revenues from hunting generated $200 million annually in remote rural areas of Africa. Much of that money goes to pay for park rangers and other forms of wildlife management that is a boon to the animals. Maybe I've got this all wrong. The governments of South Africa and Namibia endorsed that view. Both countries condemned the recent decision by Delta Airlines, United, and other carriers to ban hunting trophies. They said it would hurt hunting business and deprive their countries of money for wildlife management and community development. The Humane Society rejects this idea. They say instead of killing the animals, come to Africa and take pictures. Leave the rifles at home. Tourism brings in more money to countries than hunting. I don't agree with hunting rare or exotic animals, yet I'm not a vegan. So perhaps some would call me a hypocrite for authorizing the killing of some animals, but not others. And for that, I have to say I'm guilty, and something I'm going to have to think about. My daughter is a proud vegan, and I know she wonders about my attitude about eating meat, trying to save the planet at the same time. One last bit about the big game hunters. Instead of killing the animal, couldn't the hunters maybe take a picture of the animal and show their friends back home and say, Hey, I traveled halfway around the world to shoot this animal. Look how magnificent it is, and I'm so glad it's still alive for someone else to see. I guess that's too much to ask. Happy Earth Day. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe was born on April 15, 1972. She's an atmospheric scientist and professor of political science at Texas Tech University, where she's the director of the Climate Science Center. You can follow her on Instagram or on Twitter. Her website is katherinehayhoe.com. My favorite way to stay connected with her is by watching her YouTube videos. I especially like her Global Weirding series. Four million people watched her TED Talk. And here's a plug for her new book, Saving Us, A Climate Scientist's Case for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. The book looks at how all of us can and must play a role in saving our future. Time Magazine listed her among the 100 most influential people in 2014, and she's won a ton of awards, too many to list here. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the United Nations selected her as Champions of the Earth in 2019. That was the same year I won my fantasy football league, although not quite the same prestige, I'll take it. Happy birthday to the brilliant and funny Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. And thanks to the entire gang here at A Breath of Fresh Earth for helping today's show. Kimmy, Bob, Rafe, Mike, Jill, Chelsea, and Duke, your contributions are key to keeping me inspired. Today was a lot of fun. Gave you information at your fingertips to get ready for Earth Day. I worked in some dinosaur talk. We learned about another climate hero. And most importantly, you've been reminded that it's a wonderful world. Good night, Galileo. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.